you're listening to the Living Word Church podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. We are in Colossians part five, part five of our series here, and we have one more week after today. And uh, our dog Chewy has been putting on some weight. We took him to the veterinarian, my, my good buddy, and uh, it just said, hey man, what do we do here? He said, yeah, he's, he's like, he's getting a little hefty, and so we got to be careful. And he said, change some of his meal sizes, but also don't give him any treats except popcorn. So here you go. Here's the popcorn right here, all right? And so he, he says, this is going to like change everything for him. This is going to be a really healthy thing. They love it. And so it's great. And so you can see here, I have this, and I have the chip clip on the top so everything stays nice and fresh. And so the funny thing about this whole situation is every time I come into the the part of the house where Chewy's chips or popcorn is kept, the chip clip is sitting like this. And it's just wide open like that. I got a picture here for you guys of where I found this. I don't know who's doing it. I don't know what's happening here, but that is basically useless on this bag, isn't it? And you know, today we're going to be talking about how we interact with other people. And Paul's going to give us some incredible wisdom on this. He's going to be very specific. But it is as useless to call ourselves a Christian and not let that change any, the way we treat anybody as it is for us to use a chip click on the side of this bag that's wide open. You know, like this is supposed to matter. This is supposed to impact all of our relationships. It's so incredibly important. Before we jump into that, let's remember where we've been. Week one, we saw that prayer is so vital, that we're going to pray God's will be known and be done. Week two, Kelly talked about Jesus just being preeminent and supreme over all things and how we have to cling to him. In week three, we talked about the lies that assault our mind, how we have to keep holding fast and clinging to the truth. And last week we saw that Jesus came to set us free from things like legalism where we try to work our way toward him and mysticism and rabbit holes that get us off the the important issues and into all kinds of distraction and how he came to set us free from even our own self-condemnation. And so today we're going to really jump into how we treat others. And as I said, Paul's going to go into great detail about how we're to treat each other, each other here in the room or watching online, the church, uh, husbands and wives, parents and kids, kids and parents, and we're going to see all different types of dynamics within relationship. And what's interesting is, I think for the most part, it's like the closer we are to someone, the more difficult it is to treat them well. Isn't that strange? Isn't that weird how we do that? Recently, I was driving down a windy road, and as I'm driving, this guy kind of comes around the corner, and he sees there's a garbage can, like somebody's garbage can blew out into the street. And so he swerved to miss it, but if I hadn't swerved, he would have hit me. And so I'm thinking, you're okay with hitting this $30 garbage can, or not hitting it, swerving out of the way, but you're fine with smashing in to me. Like, what kind of logic is that? And then I started to think about it as I'm thinking about this message, going, well, that's just how we treat people, isn't it? We swerve out of the way of the confrontation with the person that we hardly know, the stranger, the new acquaintance, maybe the person that works down the hall in the office. But the closer we get, we go full smash mode, don't we? We'll smash right into our spouse. We'll smash right into our kids or our parents or somebody here at church. Isn't that incredible? It's like the closer we are, the more difficult it is to treat somebody the way God wants us to to treat them. Now, today, I want us to know how important this is because, like I said, this changes everything. Like, for a bunch of us Christians to be walking around going, oh, I love Jesus so much, I love Jesus so much, he's made such a difference in my life. Right? It's, just, it's, not, it's not doing what it's meant to do. It's not impacting us like it's meant to impact us unless we're allowing 
what God's done in our lives to really transform the deepest relationships that we have. And as we look at the scriptures today, there's a good chance that some of this is going to be very challenging to some of us, maybe all of us. Some of us might even be tempted to get offended today at some of the things that the word of God has to say because it's some countercultural stuff. Now, if you know me, you know that I really like to encourage people. I think God put me on this earth to be an encourager, to kind of cheer people on in their faith and encourage them. But there are times that I've got to look at the word of God and say something kind of hard. And I'm not the kind of person that loves that. There are some preachers who love confrontational messages and are going to get in everybody's face and ruffle feathers and come at people, you know. That's just not me. But today, I don't want to be skipping verses in the scriptures that might make us uncomfortable. Sometimes we need intense stuff to really challenge us and make a difference. I lunched with a friend this past week, and we're sitting there, and we're just talking, hey, catching up on what's going on in life. And he says, oh, he's like, man, my, my, I'm having all these issues with my feet, you know? He's like, I've got all these pains in my feet. I'm trying to find like a foot massager I can order for home, and it'll just help me. And I'm like, oh, man, I got pains with my feet too, you know? Like, this is the stage of life I'm in, by the way. You just start to, oh, yeah, your back's killing you. My back's killing me. Like, that's crazy. How much fun is this? And so um, I, I tell him, I have this foot massager thing. When I was in the hospital laying in the bed for all those months, my feet uh, were, were in all this pain from that same position. And so Kelly got me this foot massager and, and I use it every night. And, and there's two modes on the foot massager. There's light and there's intense. And light feels good, but intense goes deep. But intense hurts. Like there are times when I have that thing cranking and I'll look over at Kelly after I take my feet and I'll be like, my feet are still attached to my body, right? Because <laughs> they just were squeezed. And I think sometimes in church, we've got to go intense mode. Because God uses it. You see, that foot massage, when it's on intense mode, it hurts so good. You know what I mean? It hurts so good. It doesn't feel great in the moment, but it goes down into those deep places that need some squeezing and brings out some health and some life. And you know, sometimes there needs to be an intense word, even here at church, because it's going to go down into those deep places. God's going to take it deep into the places that sometimes we feel uncomfortable. We wouldn't really want him going but it's going to bring health and it's going to bring life. And I believe in the word of God. I believe that the word of God is literally the word of God. And I think that as we begin to apply it to our lives, it's going to at times make us uncomfortable, but we so often need to say, Lord, what are, you, what are your ways? What are you saying? Especially here in 2023, when so many you know, messages are coming at us, like I said last week, you do you, follow your heart, like all these things that lead us to terrible places. We got to say, God, what's true? What can I count on? What's going to make the impact? And so we're going to go ahead and do that today. But just in case, for my protection, I do have this. If anyone wants to throw something at me today, I can fend it right off. And so I'm pretty excited about my little buddy here that's going to help save my life possibly as we get into this today. Um, I also hope to undo some misunderstandings. Some of what we're going to see here in the scripture are things that we've just misunderstood there are some verses that have been used in this passage to abuse people, misuse people. Um, it's been used in horrific ways, and so we're going to talk about some of this. In fact, one of the verses we're going to read today is probably, probably the reason you or one of your friends doesn't want to have anything to do with God. Okay? It's one of those verses that is used to discount the Bible. Wait, if it says that, there's no way this can be of God. Okay, So we're going to look at that here today. So intense stuff, but also clear up some misconceptions and really get God's heart for how we interact with one another today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope and pray you see the grace and mercy and wisdom of God today. 
as we look to his word. I think one of the reasons we come to church is because we've discovered that our own way doesn't work, right? Like if I'm just left to my own Doug Jansen mindset and the things that would come naturally to me, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. I've got to align my heart with something very different. So let's jump in today. Everybody say Colossians. So Paul wrote this book to the people of Colossae, and he says in Colossians 3.11, coming right off the verse we started, uh, left off last week, he says, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is really important. This is a really important starting point. Paul is saying that there's all these categories of people everybody's trying to put everybody in, right? And what he's saying is, In God's eyes, every person has equal value. In God's eyes, every person has equal value. One of these categories, Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, all those, not one of those categories would give somebody an upper hand on how they could be accepted by God, right? In God's eyes, we all have absolute equal value. So I want you to repeat this after me. It's three parts to it. So the first part is this. In God's eyes, every person's value is equal. And so as we look to slave and free and barbarian, like all these different categories, you realize, wait, Jesus came to save all, to free all, and to, to give us equal value together. And as I said, this is so important because sometimes some of the verses we're going to look at here in this passage have been used to say, oh, this person has more value than that person. Uh, this person should be in some way uh, inferior and the other should be superior in, in these different relationships. And, and so Just that starting point is huge for us. And then he says, because of that, or because Jesus has set us free and is everything to all of us and we have equal value, verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Just picture yourself putting on some clothes today or yesterday, right, when it was evil cold out and those winds were blowing, just clothing yourself. How many layers were we all wearing? I was like dressed up like an Eskimo when I had to go outside and and go outside for a bit, right? Clothe yourself with what? Well, I was putting shirts and coats and all kinds of stuff on yesterday, but God says compassion as we interact with one another, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience as we interact with one another, bear with each other. Oh, that's like, that's like a little bit of a grit of the teeth word, isn't it? Bear, to bear with somebody. It's not like, come give me a hug. It's like, okay, you're here, you're here, I'm here. Let's bear with each other for right now and hang in there. We're going to work through this. Okay, my teeth are still gritted, but we're going to get through this, right? He goes on. He says, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. Everybody say love. That's a big word for today. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now you're going, Doug, normally when we do a message, you kind of break the verses up little by little. And we kind of flew through three verses right there. And the reason is, is because we've talked about those verses a good bit or those themes. But there's some stuff we have to get to that's going to take some time today. So I kind of said, all right, let's, let's sum up love and how we should treat each other in this way. But let's get to some specifics here. And remember, doing these things we're talking about today does not save us. We are saved because Jesus is a great Savior. And now we respond with the chip clip in the right place, right, as we interact with each other. We respond in a way that's going to be effective and it's going to work. It goes on. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Everybody say peace. Peace is that wonderful thing that we get inside sometimes, right? That God's peace goes with us, walks with us. But peace is this wonderful thing that we get as we come together as the people of God. So if I'll just get this ready here. We have 
a new election coming up, don't we, everybody? Man, can we just decide now, church? Like, please, right now, 2023, February 5th, that we're going to handle this one different than the last one? That we are going to be loving? Oh, nobody threw nothing yet. I'll put this away for a second. I might need it later, but that we're going to be loving to one another, that we're going to put Jesus above all of the disagreements. Listen, recently I was listening to a podcast, a man was interviewed who's uh, the pastor of the, what I would consider the largest solid church in America. There's some big churches in America, not all solid, sadly, but there's a, a solid, a bunch of solid ones. And, and this guy's been in the same church over 40 years, a student of church history, loves Jesus, the real deal, genuine, and I just respect this guy a ton. And I was listening to him interviewed, and, and they said, okay, so in 40-something years of ministry, like, what have you seen change? And, he, and this is what he said. And I got emotional when I heard him say it because, man, I've seen the same thing. He said, in the last season, Christians got their identity from their political party instead of Jesus. And I just, I honestly, I got emotional, tears in my eyes, because that's exactly what I saw. Listen, we should be involved in politics. This is not anti-politic. But politics are not the hope of the world, and Jesus is. And so we've got to keep our eyes on him, and we've got to stay close to him, and we've got to decide before this next election cycle that we are absolutely going to love one another and elevate Jesus over everything, because that's what drove me nuts in 2020, is that my whole life being a Christian, I've seen and I've experienced coming to the table with people on the opposite ends, and we could always leave hugging it out going, but Jesus is king. And it felt like in 2020, so many of us couldn't do that. It was like, no, my guy's king, or my guy's king, or she's king, or, or he should be king. And, and it just, it, it doesn't work. It's, it's, it's like the chip clip is like, it's like we threw it. Like it's not even on the bag anymore, you know? Like we've got to decide we're going to live at peace differently here in this next season. Because sometimes it's like, I would rather be close to someone who has my politics but doesn't love Jesus. What? We've got to be first and foremost united with people who love Jesus. Maybe it's not politics. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe somebody ignored you, your kid, hurt your kid. That's a hard one to get over. Man, we've got to decide we're going to be at peace with one another. All right, it goes on, verse 16. We're just warming up, everybody. All right, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, I'd love to just end on this verse because that's we're all happy here. We're all singing to each other, and life's good, and I'm singing how great God is to you, and you're singing back. But he's going to go on. Verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a great filter. Do it all. Whatever I say, whatever I do, however I act, it's all done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. No matter what I do, it's done in the name of Jesus. What a great filter, right? Do I do this or not do this? We'll filter it. Can I do it in the name of Jesus? Can I love in the name of Jesus? Then do it. Can I gossip in the name of Jesus? Don't do it. Can I forgive in the name of Jesus? Do it. Can I hate in the name of Jesus? Don't do it, right? What a great filter. Whatever I do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, I'm going to get my umbrella ready here. Here we go. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Okay. Somebody's winding up in the back there. I saw that. Okay, listen. Let's first talk about what this doesn't mean, because this is one of those verses used to abuse and misuse, okay? So we got to be so careful. Follow him blindly. It does not mean follow 
him blindly. It does not mean follow him into sin. It does not mean check your brain at the door. It does not mean you agree on everything. It does not mean you don't try to influence him. Tom Constable says this, people often misunderstand submission. It does not indicate inferiority or involving losing one's identity and becoming a non-person. Some women fear the submission will lead to abuse and or a feeling of being used, which sadly it does. Submission does not mean blind obedience or passivity. So what does it mean? My best understanding of this tricky verse is that it means follow the lead of. Follow the lead of. Well, follow the lead of who? Well, it goes on in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with him. And then Paul, in Ephesians 5, takes it a step further. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow, women follow the lead of men who give themselves up for you, who lay down their lives, their rights, right? Like, that's the relationship here. That's the dynamic here, right? It's men, we've got to live like Christ lived. We've got to love our wives like Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, right? This is a huge challenge to the guys today. Let me call you to something, men. Why do we love huge movies with brave men and people who go out and do unbelievable things? Like We don't sit there and watch movies about people who didn't do nothing crazy or big or huge. or right. Like We root for the guy who's going to, oh my gosh, you're willing to give all that. You're willing to sacrifice all that. You're willing to give everything of you for this moment, for this this nation, this person, this land, these people, this woman. Right. Like, like That's what gets us going, guys, isn't it? So let me call you to something big today. It's that you and I are to love and cherish our wives like Jesus loves and cherishes the church. And so we're to be selfless and sacrificial and, and, and put our wives' needs above our own. And like I said, man, this is, well, let's get intense mode on the foot massage we're going today. This is some difficult, challenging stuff that might take some of us to a painful place today. But man, that we would respond to it. My, 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 my prayer and our team's prayer leading up to today was, oh, God, this is your word. Use it. Don't let it just be something we talk about, people agree with, disagree with, love it, hate it. God, let this do something powerful in our lives. So wives, who do you follow the lead of? Well, the person who God has placed in your life to love and cherish you like Jesus loves and cherishes the church. Guys are sitting there going, great, my wife has to do whatever I say. No, no. You're going to need to steal one of these if that's what you think, right? That's not what it means. You know how often I ask my wife for wisdom and counsel? And I had to read this message. I'm like, baby, please read this message. Like, like we have to recognize the amazing strengths that God has placed within this marriage relationship and each individual person and what they bring to the table. Remember, as we saw earlier, that in God's eyes and his estimation that there is value, equal value in every single person, right? There is not this category, that category that makes one higher than the other. But here is this opportunity and this call for men to lead and love and cherish the way that Jesus has done those things for us. And so this isn't some male chauvinistic thing, you know? This isn't some, like, ancient thing, like, oh, my gosh, it's 2023, Doug, wake up. No, ladies, we're talking about men aiming to live like Jesus. Like, all right, so here we go. You ready? Like, ladies in the room, like, think about the things that have drawn you to Jesus, right? 
compassion and mercy and the grace and the love and the forgiveness. Like some of you are going, but that's not my husband. Okay, but, but that's who we're to aim to be. So let me talk to the husband. That's who we're to aim to be. And as I say all the time, we're going to fall short in this. We're not going to nail this out of the park every time. There's going to be up days and down days and good moments and bad moments. But this is what we're aiming at. And this is what we're responding to. His love and his selflessness and his humility becomes our love and selflessness and humility. These are the kinds of things we aim at. Men, how do we become that? I think it's got to be our connection to Jesus. That's it. I don't have a great other answer. I mean, we could counseling is helpful and um, accountability is helpful and community is huge. But man, we've got to be connected to Jesus because that's where I'm changed to be like him. And so I've got to be living out my days close to him and asking him for help and asking him for wisdom and strength and peace and, and the ability to lead when I'm tired and, and to love well and to encourage well. So, so what does this look like? I, just, I think in a huge way, this is about a spiritual leading. And again, just to call them into something, if I could. This is about a spiritual leading in our homes. Um, this is important for me to Look to my wife and say, hey, Kel, let's just pray. And not that she can't do that and doesn't do that. She does that to me. Let's just pray about this. Absolutely. But, man, God has put on me to lead my wife in that, to lead my kids in this. Like, hey, let's, let's pray or let's come together to lead my family in this, right? Let me just say something. Let's get this ready again, okay? Um, I think if I could encourage the dads and the families in something, it would be this. Let's make church and the people of God a priority in our lives. Not the end all be all. But if I could just say this is I think sometimes we have just gotten to this pattern of like not being around the people of God, you know, like we miss church or, you know, we're not involved. The kids aren't involved and we've just kind of disconnected and, and unplugged. And I just think it's so important, you know, and I, and I think I know I get it, man. My kids like there have been times I've been on a baseball field for nine hours in a day. Like nine hours because my first, my son, my oldest son had a game, then my middle son, or my youngest son had a game, then my older son had another game. Like, I get it. But I just, it breaks my heart, and I've just been around long enough, I guess, because I'm getting older, right? I've been around long enough to see whole cycles of this. Like families who had like a, a five year old, right, grow up, and now they're in their 20s. And what I've seen so often is there's this like, they're gonna be the next MLB, NFL, Hollywood, gymnastic, and maybe they are. But I'm just going to tell you what I've seen 99 times out of 100. And again, I'll get my umbrella ready here. But, but I've seen 99 out of 100 times that whole families disconnect for months or even years from the local church. And then at about like, I don't know, I've seen it between 15 and 20. Listen, this is important. The kid goes, I don't want my life to be about this anymore. The kid. They didn't even get cut. They didn't walk away, or they did, they did walk away, I'm sorry. They didn't get cut, they didn't get tossed off the team. They, they just, like I've seen kids look at my face and just go, I just didn't want to do that anymore. I just didn't want my life to be about that anymore. But now they're 15 to 20, and the message that's been sent is, church is kind of optional. You know, being with the people of God is kind of optional. Listen, I miss church sometimes. This isn't like a legalistic thing, okay? This isn't, um, you know, Doug never misses. I won't be here in two weeks, right? Like there's just times I'm just not here. I'm on vacation. I'm with my family, okay? But the, the, the precedent and the 99% the of the time is, oh, no, we're going to be with the people of God because I need it. I need it. I won't be here in two weeks, but I'll be somewhere else actually just receiving 
being a, a person sitting in a service, hearing a message and worshiping God. Because I need that and my family needs that. And so I would just encourage you to be so careful with all the stuff that can carve this away. Because we all have things in our lives that we say, that's non-negotiable. This is happening. This is what is the way it's going to be. And I think sometimes we just get away from the people of God being a vital part, the coming together, being a vital part of what our kids need. And I understand that there's all kinds of stuff that comes up. Um, and I understand going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Somebody once said going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? But, but here is where we grow in our love for Jesus and we learn more about God and we experience God and the community of the people of God makes an impact in our lives. And so it's so important. And so we have to be so careful. And I know families who do this. I actually know several families whose kids are like crazy talented. And some of them may be headed to the MLB or the NHL or some of these places. But here's what I see in some of these families. I see this just desire and drive to say, okay, whatever we can do, we're going to make God still the priority, you know? So if there's like a noon game, they come to the 930. If there's a 7 a.m. game, they come to the 1130. If they're off the island in Pennsylvania at something and they come back, they'll come to our night thing at 7 and hang out with some college students and young adults with the family for the night because church, church and God and the things of God are going to be a priority, Maybe if they're meant to be that next MLB person or whatever it might be, it's so important that um, we continue to say, well, we're going to figure it out then. Maybe they can't come that Sunday. They're going to be at Green Room. Maybe they can't go there. They're going to be at Small Group. Like, it's just such an important thing for that development. I think of Brandon Nimmo, who is the center fielder for the Mets, right? And he loves Jesus. Like, he's like a crazy Jesus guy, okay? And um, I would guess, like, probably three-quarters of the year, he is not in church on a Sunday because of his schedule and what he's doing. But I know that the man is in the Mets chapel, right? In fact, he sprints there, okay? That's a little Mets joke if anybody's a Mets fan because he sprints everywhere. He gets walked to the plate. He sprints the first. But there's apparently no people who watch enough to know that Brandon Nimmo sprints so the joke fell flat. But I, I, just, I just know there's a way to work it. I know there's a way to work it out. And maybe you're going, oh, man, I'm messed up. It's too late. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Or maybe if it is and the kids are like 25, 30 now, it's time to go, you know what? I messed that part up. I'm sorry. Apologies are huge, parents. All right, let's keep going here. And so this passage may seem scandalous, but it's about men cherishing their wives and wives responding to that cherishing. Not a value thing. Remember, everybody's value is equal in God's eyes. In fact, before any of the instructions that Paul gave in Ephesians, look at what he says. Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. So this isn't even just a one-way street. There's a submitting to one another. Even before Paul gets into the husband-wife thing, he says, let's all submit to one another. Let's follow the lead of one another. Let's, let's walk in this together. But, but then he's given uh, in marriage this different whole idea of a man lovingly sacrificing and giving himself and cherishing for his wife and his wife responding to that leading. What about single people in the room? Maybe you're younger. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you've lost one to death. I would say, wow, I'm so sorry that some of that has happened. And I would say, I think going in prayer to the Lord, if you've lost or are divorced, going to the prayer in the Lord and, and just being raw with him and real with him about some of the things you've experienced, some of the pain that you've walked through. If you're a single parent, you're a rock star. And we're going to get to a couple things on parenting in just a minute. But man, thank God for you. Thank God for what you're doing and the way that you're being used in your children's lives. We're rooting you on, praying you on, cheering you on, and so thankful for you. I'd also say if you're younger and you're not married yet, file this away. File some of this away and be ready to bring it out in the future. Some of you might say, well, what if my husband isn't a spiritual leader? What if my wife doesn't respond to that lead? Got to bring it back to the Lord in prayer. 
Man, be on your knees about it daily. Lord, please transform this situation. I, again, I'm, I'm, if you're a man and you're in the room, I'm calling you to something today. I'm calling you to rise to something today, to something big and great and good, that you'd be that man that takes that lead, especially with your kids and your wives' relationship with Jesus. It's just so important. Let's keep going. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Kids, look me in the eyes. Say, hey, Doug. Oh, man. Oh, thanks. That was an older voice, but that's a James voice, so we'll take it. All right. And so Paul is saying, all right, look, we're not going to follow our parents into sin. Clearly, God's the priority. If our parents are telling us to sin, we're not going to do that. But everything else, the Lord has put them there for a reason. I know you think that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I know that it feels like 100 years since your parents were your age. But I'm telling you right now that they know some stuff. They've experienced some stuff. They've lived some life. They love you. And especially if they are walking with the Lord, they're desiring good for you. Uh, recently in community group, I asked our group a question just to kind of get conversation going. I said, what would you go back and tell your younger self to do differently? And one of the guys gave me permission to share this. He said, I would go back and tell myself to not think I knew more than my dad. And this is a guy, you know, in his 30s now, right, with his own kids and his own family. So think about that, right? Like kids in the room. Like I remember conversations, and they haunt me to this day, where I was in that place of looking my dad in the eyes and just, oh, I know so much more than you. I, I have this, right? Man, if I could tell you there's things I regret in life, that is one of the huge ones. So kids, look, parents aren't perfect. We're not. My kids will tell you that I'm not. But being so careful, kids, to recognize the wisdom that they have and what they offer, man, God has set this up. I believe the Bible's true. I believe the Bible's God's very words. And so this is important to look your parents back in the eyes and say, all right, all right. And obviously the relationship changes, and we're going to get into that as kids get older. And that's a weird season of life I'm in right now. But let's keep going. Colossians 3, 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children. And we'll add moms in there too. Father, you know, uh, fathers and mothers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This is huge. I would love to do a parenting series with Kelly. Uh, at, at some point, we aren't perfect parents. We've learned from our mistakes for sure. But in the small amount of time uh, I have right now, let me just throw a couple things at you to help not crush your child's spirit. Number one on the list, do not be legalistic. Do not be legalistic. Be so careful. Yes, there's boundaries, and there are, if you come to the Jansen home, there are things that the kids can and can't do, right? But be so careful about some of those rabbit holes we talked about last week and kind of getting super crazy on some things and harping on certain rules that are really building a rule around a rule, if you remember that illustration last week. Just be so careful because that can crush a child's spirit so quickly. I read a great parenting book recently, and um, one of the things that they said is that their goal, as husband and wife wrote it, and their goal was that everything they did would lead to a healthy relationship with their adult child one day. Think about parenting that way. And they broke it up into different age groups. They said that uh, there's the discipline years, zero to five. Then you have the training years, 5 to 12. You have the coaching years, 12 to 18. And then, I love this, the friendship years, 18 plus, right? And I think when we get those parenting years out of order, we can crush our children's spirit. I think when we don't listen, this is hard, this is really hard, I hate this one, but we don't transition with them from stage to stage, we can crush our children's spirit. I remember when Cade uh, turned about 17, and I'm not going to say this in the service he's in because I forgot to ask for permission, but just don't tell him I said it, okay? Uh, turned 17, um, license, girlfriend, job, right? 
that you might have you might have well just like punched me or hit me with a bat. Like it just hurt so much. Like this this new like independence and this new growing, and I had to learn through many mistakes. Oh, okay, things are changing here. Had I still had him in the discipline years or the training years, I would have crushed the spirit and lost him. You know, and in the coaching years, we still sometimes have to stand up and say, no, you're not doing that, right? Like coaches still take players off the field, don't they? But we have to really learn and pray and ask God for wisdom in all this, that we would walk with our kids well and we would transition well. Sometimes we'll, right, you, you, you all know the parent who still is looking at their 20-year-old like they're in the, 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 the discipline years, right, or the training years, right? Like we just have to be so careful. And listen, some of us are like, but I, I think I got that all right and my kid's far from Jesus. We do not give up on them. I've also been around long enough to know that I've seen people who grew up loving Jesus and went away for a season and coming back. And God's so faithful. So you don't beat yourself up about this stuff, and you keep fighting for them in prayer. Um, Guys in the room, if I could just say something to you, the most important thing you will do in life is lead your family. It's the most important thing you will do in life. I know we all want to get the invitation to the golf classic thing and we want to lead in sales and we want to get the award and we want to have the accolades and write the book and give the speech and right, leave the financial legacy. And look, nothing wrong with those things. But the most important thing you do is lead your family. And when you, if you have the opportunity to interview somebody on their deathbed, I guarantee you it's not the golf game they got invited to. It's not even the dollar amount they had in their bank that is going to matter in that moment. It's their relationship with their family. And if you interview a Christian man on his deathbed, I think it's going to even have another layer to it, and that's the spiritual condition of his family, right? And so, man, if I could just call you to this, I know we live in a crazy world. We live on an island, the busiest culture in the whole stinking world. But man, I just pray that we'll get this right. And I know I'm just doing like a whole lot today and I got a whole lot of umbrella stuff to guard myself from here. But, but man, you know, just, I'm just kind of shooting a shotgun out today and I'm praying that whatever needs to be hit is being hit. And, and I just pray that we'll, you know, take some of this in. And I, I would love to talk more, right? This isn't like, that's one hard thing about preaching is you kind of say what you say and then people don't really have a chance to talk back or respond or anything like that. I'm happy to talk and let's talk more. Let's go deeper. If you leave today going, I got more questions than answers. Let's talk more. But let's hit one last misunderstood passage here and then we're going to wrap things up, okay? And I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to open this one because this is one that's actually really seriously misused and misunderstood and drives people away from Jesus all the time. So check this out. I'm going to read a long paragraph, and then we'll break it apart and understand it correctly. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to, their, to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. And now we go, wait, how can the Bible be pro-slavery? Listen to me, the Bible's not pro-slavery, A. And B, it's not pro-slavery like you and I think of slavery. 
Okay, so let me just you know dispel some issues for you because this is a huge reason why people don't follow God or take the Bible seriously. All right, the slavery that's being talked about here is not the slavery you and I are familiar with. It's not the horrific things that happen in our country and other places of the world. All right, slavery in these days had nothing to do with race. It was not an issue of race. Uh, they people were not apprehended against their will. In fact, the Old Testament says anyone who apprehends someone against their will and sells them is to be disciplined and punished. Uh, it, it also was not um, something where people were sold to slaves. They would sell themselves into slavery. A better word for it may have been indebtedness, okay? Basically, this was a doctor, a politician, a lawyer saying, I can't quite cover my expenses right now. Uh, May I and my family stay with you? We'll do this, that, and the other on the grounds or take care of these needs until we've paid off our debt. It was a very different scenario, and everything written about in the New Testament was to protect the rights of those people that had become indebted as slaves, and so you would hear, do not threaten them. Treat them with fairness. Paul's, uh, fairness. Paul says they should uh, earn their freedom, if possible, by paying off their debts. And, and look at the next verse in Colossians 4.1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And then in Ephesians 6.9, check this out. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism. There's our, we, we saw this in Colossians, the, the very first verse. There's no favoritism. There's no, I'm better than you. He's better than you, right? He's simply saying that we are to honor slaves in the same way that slaves honored them, and that was because God was over all and all are equal, right? And so we have to be so careful about stuff like this. But man, if God is saying to these people who were indebted, treat your masters with respect and, and vice versa. Masters, uh, treat these people, these slaves, with respect and love and, and cher- you know, like, be careful how you treat them and honor them. Like, in the midst of that, what a difficult and challenging relationship. God is still bringing up these themes of love and respect, isn't he? And if I could find my clip, I think it's over here. That is really and truly the clip on the back, right? Like, if I could sum up today's message with just one effective word, it would be love, right? It would be love one another. Clothe yourselves with love, compassion, humility, right? It would be men, love your wives. It would be women, love your husbands. It would be children, love your parents. Parents, love your children. Like, what a powerful thing Paul does here as he reminds us, wives, love your husbands, respond to that cherishing, but my husband isn't cherishing me in that way. It's time to bring that to the Lord. And maybe you are. I'm sure you are, right? Keep going. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And if you need to be like, well, Doug, you just opened up a can of worms. I need to talk. Let's talk, okay? Husband's in the room. Man, cherish your wives. Be the one who is going to love in such a beautiful way that it looks like Jesus, that the things that draw our, our wives to Jesus are the things that are flowing out of us. How do I do that? By connecting to the Lord. I've got to be connected to him. I've got to walk with him. Children, love your parents. Obey them. Parents, love your children. Do not embitter them. Next week, we're going to talk about how we interact with outsiders and how we make an impact outside these walls. That's where Paul's going to take us next week. But man, what an amazing, powerful thing God's given us to aim at today. And I'm sure you're leaving here kind of going, I hurt. I hurt a little bit. Maybe I hurt a lot. And I pray that from me to you, there's been a humility that this has all come out in. But I also pray that God takes some hard things we've heard today and he, he presses them deep and it brings about some health, brings about some life. And that you'd leave here today going, all right, Lord, this is your word. This wasn't even Doug's word. It's your word. 
So God, lead me and help me to know how to react and what this looks like. I heard someone say recently that someone asked a bunch of people, sum up Jesus in one word. And instantly I had a word in my head. I knew what the word was, and I was like predicting what the, the podcast person was going to say. And you know which word they chose? Relaxed. And I thought, well, that's weird. Like, yeah, Jesus is relaxed. He's not worried. He's not hurried. He's not stressed. But there's a much bigger word, and that is love. That absolutely sums up who Jesus is. And what a beautiful thing for us to look at and aspire to follow and be connected to that we'd be used to love. If you're not a follower of Jesus, do you know his love? Do you know his great sacrifice? I've been saying through the whole message that, that we're to love men or to love their spouses as, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. So Jesus gave himself up for you. He died on a cross that you would know him and walk with him and love him and be loved by him and have a relationship with him. And so if you want to put your trust in him today, I'd love for you to pray with me. But church, sum it all up as everyone you look at in the next week before I see you again, just write that word love across it all. Every interaction, write love across it all. Can I do this in Jesus' name? Write love across it all. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the love that you have for us and the loving example you've given us. And Jesus, I thank you for your word, God. And you know what? I can stand up here in confidence today, not because of me, but because of you and because of your word. Lord, I thank you that you call us to not skip the difficult topics. I thank you that you call us to talk about those things that aren't culturally maybe even accepted or, or in any way agreed with. But I thank you, Jesus. You have a different way. You're God. You are God. And so we submit to that today. And I just pray that you've used this intense message, this, this deep, difficult pressure on some spots in us that make us uncomfortable or even in pain today. Lord, you'd bring great life. I pray over the marriages, Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us, marriage is hard. Help us. Help the men to love, cherish, and sacrifice as we're called to. Oh, God, I pray for the women. May they be cherished. And may they, Lord, look and say, I'd love to follow that lead. I'd love to walk through life with this partner. Oh, Lord, help us. We need you. We need you. This isn't easy stuff. Maybe it's just the beginning of a conversation for many of us. Help us have those conversations. God, I pray for the parents in the room. Would you help us? I pray for the single parents in the room. Oh, Lord, give them grace. Thank you for them. We root them on. We're here for them. We stand with them. Be with those children in the room that we love and respect and honor our parents, Lord. Help us as parents to know how to transition through those stages. Help us, Lord, to know how to lead our children to a relationship with you. And God, let there be the friendship years. I know for some of us, when I said friendship years, 18 plus, some people probably laughed under their breath because that's not where, what they've seen happen. But God, it's, it's, it's possible in you. I've seen it. I've seen it, Lord. Would you restore and bring back kids that are far? God, I pray for single people here in the room that they'd file some of this away. I pray also for those who have lost through divorce or death, God, and just ask for mercy over their lives, God, and closeness with you, and that, Jesus, you would satisfy the deepest longings of their soul. And God, I pray you'll help us as a church to treat one another with love and respect, clothe ourselves with that humility, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, and bear with one another in love. Jesus, we need you. We're desperate for you. We got nothing apart from you. This was all just words apart from you, God, but this is you, this is your words, this is your creation, Lord. You spoke this. And so, Lord, take it deep. Use it mightily. We love you. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray through something that just maybe hurt today or, or something painful that kind of came out of today or something that challenged you deeply? Would you pray about it? Would you bring it to the Lord? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you want to put your trust in him, I'd love for you to pray with me now. You just pray, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for cherishing me, giving yourself up for me, sacrificing yourself for me that I would know you. Thank you for this amazing gift of salvation. In your name I pray. Amen.